In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Hi everyone, just a quick note for today's episode. There are discussions of addiction and suicide. If that's something you do not wish to listen to, please skip from timestamp 3130 to 3430. Thank you as always for listening. All right. Well, uh, Amy, we've talked a lot about how in the future really seems like a lot of different visions of the future incorporate the use of a uniform into the lifestyle of the future. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, my question to you to start off this week is, of the various uniforms that we've seen, do you prefer one that, like, skews kind of vaguely military, or would you prefer more of just the kind of plain onesie jumpsuit style of future uniform? Ooh, that's a great question. That's tough. Um, Because I do not look good in a onesie (laughs) (laughs) or like a a thing with that type of design. That's not, um, that doesn't look good on my body. (laughs) So I'm like, for selfish reasons, I probably would not choose that. Although I also like don't love the idea of like a daily costume feeling militaristic, mm-hmm. but, but I do think that the lines are sharper and a little bit more flattering. So I'll go military. <laughs> yeah. I'm military all the way because even in regular life where, uh, we don't have future uniforms yet. Uh, I love a military inspired jacket. I like a hard yeah. shoulder. I like epaulets. <laughs> I like all the jazz, like that is kind of a, usually kind of associated with a military uniform. Um, and I guess I should clarify that, like, because like jumpsuit onesie, that's actually a lot of the day to day wear of the military, like camo and stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm talking about is like dress military uniforms rather yes. than. Um, the day-to-day military garb. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I like a little bit of, like, why not put, like, a gold braid on something or, like, some tassels somewhere or have, like, a jaunty hat on top of it all. People, they love a jaunty hat. And let me tell you, like, hats are not really my deal. I like them. Again, just personally, they don't work for me based on my hairstyle, that I choose to do. <laughs> yes. Um, 
so I need like a more like of a visor situation. <laughs> um, something that lets me have like my hair on top of my head. But but I love a, I do love a hat and I do love other people in hats. Especially like um not like a dumb old like winter hat toque situation, but like a hat that's like a statement. What hat. are you Canadian? A toque? I didn't realize you were Canadian. I, I guess I have hung out with. That's a too very many Canadian way to say that. Canadians. What do you call it? Now I forget a what I call or things. A hat. <laughs> okay. Oh God, it's called a beanie, or is that an Australian thing too? Do they call it a toque in Australia? Uh, no, because they don't really need them. They're more for fashion oh. there. Oh, so I would call it a beanie or a winter hat. Okay. Well, I'm, all I'm trying to say is I like a more of a statement <laughs> hat rather yeah. than, because like much as a beanie is functional, it doesn't like go beyond that. Like it doesn't give you a look per se, in my opinion. Um, hmm. So I think some people are some, I think some people can rock beanies into a look. Well, like, yeah, when they're I like think, the floppy and it's like super pushback on your head and your hair is showing out from under it, maybe then. That was a style for a while. I think it's a style in certain communities too. I feel like, um, yeah, I, I, I like a beanie. Again, does not work on me. My hair is a problem. <laughs> but I do like them on other people. Yeah. So, hello everyone. Welcome to See You Next Week in Space. Why on earth are we talking? Uh-uh, this isn't See You Next Week. This is Hat. Hats are us. <laughs> hat talk with Sarah and Amy. Yeah. Um, I am Sarah Walsh. I'm here with my co-host and sister, Amy Walsh. And why are we talking about military garb and jaunty hats? Uh, it's because, Good question. <laughs> yeah, it's because, well, look, uh, here's a little preview onto what we're about to talk about. There wasn't a lot to work with, with today's, uh, yeah. item. And so I was trying to think about like what to item. start with. And I was like, well, I guess I, and, and this is true. I did really like the uniforms in this. Um, you know, it's funny. It, well, and I will say about the uniforms before we say what we're talking about. Uh, one last thing is that. The men's uniforms, I would say, looked military. Yes. The woman, singular woman, her uniform looked like a dance costume. Well, I'm not sure if that's a uniform or if that was just day wear, because I'm not sure that Vina is part of the Space Rangers. Okay, well, she was wearing a dance costume. That's all I know. <laughs> yes, correct, for sure. Um, so that already opens us up. So, Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we're talking about today? So we're talking about, I'm sure everybody already can tell. It's really obvious. Um, we're talking about Rocky Jones Space Ranger. Woo-woo! Which has, was a show in 1954, was it? Yes. I, I I don't know how many seasons. I know nothing about it. I didn't look. But um, now I'm reading the outline. I guess I should have looked at that. But the episode we watched is called Escape into Space. And it was episode seven. And apparently there were 39 total episodes across two seasons. And hmm, cool. 
That's what it is we're talking about. <laughs> yes. Um, so Rocky Jones, Space Ranger, um, I think we can think of it in the same way that we've done Lost in Space. I'm trying to think if there are other things that we've seen, like the super oldies that we've watched. Um, like, I guess we did some Twilight Zones. Um, maybe yeah. we could also think of this a bit as a precursor to the Jetsons a bit. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so it's it's black and white, first of all, um, which, as mm-hmm. you were saying, off air was a bit of a challenge for you this time. Yeah, this time. And, like, I do, I generally dislike when people are like, oh, it's black and white, I can't watch it. Um, because that's annoying, but I did feel a little bit that way with this one. I, it was maybe just like, cause it was also grainy on top of being black and white. Yeah. It wasn't, I watched, it wasn't great quality, but what's interesting is that in fact, for the time, this is actually shot on film. And so that's why it's actually lasted as it has into the present um, and it's also why we have access to all 39 episodes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if it had not been shot on film, it would have been corrupted? Like it wouldn't have been something that could be viewed anymore? No. I mean, I think, and I don't know enough about like what was considered the standard kind of recording practices in the 1950s for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but so basically, okay, I'll talk a little bit about like what the deal with this show was. So um, as you said, there are 39 total episodes of Rocky Jones Space Ranger. Uh, I think pretty much all of them uh, are filmed like between 1951 and 52. And then Mm. the plan was always to release these through syndication rather than on network shows. Oh, okay. So that distinguishes this from like pretty much every other, not just show we've talked about on this podcast, but this is like a very early, like syndication wasn't really a thing in the 50s in the way that it would become um, later on. And so I was actually really surprised to even see that here, that this was, that the whole plan for this show was that it was going to be syndication distribution rather Mm. than through a network. Um, And so all of the filming is done, like I said, I think 51, 52. Then they do the special effects period. So everything gets released in 1954. A lot of, because it's this like particular distribution method, um, a lot of those 39 episodes are actually three-parters. So you, so each episode is like um, about 26 minutes. And mm-hmm. a lot, of, and this was one of the few that was just a standalone one. A lot of them had like parts oh, okay. one, two, and three. Um, oh. And I'm glad we didn't watch one of those. I, I knew, I knew I couldn't do that to you, so I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> I also had a lot of work to do myself this week, so I was like, I don't have time to watch a whole thing of this. Um, so basically, in terms of how this all plays out. They shoot it on film rather than whatever kind of the standard practice of the day was. And because it's on Mm. film, it's just like, first of all, it's better quality. So I think it's just easier to restore later on. Mm. Um, Mm. But also like, it's not so much that like this show was perceived as like 
worthy of saving and others weren't. Um, a lot of times, like, especially as we go further back into the past, it's more just that like certain technologies become a lot harder to keep in good shape, you know, like, um, like er super early silent films. We've lost a lot of those because the film was actually super like chemically unstable and would fall like burst into flames a lot. Um, Oh Jesus. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I think that's more the reason like why Mm. this was able to last, why we have all of the episodes and not just like some. Hmm. Um, And then also the high quality of the film combined with the high cost of the special effects is uh, that like when I was Googling this, most people kind of surmise that that's probably the reason it gets canceled Um, Mm. because it costs a lot of money. And then on top of it, it costs a lot of money and then it's not making the money that network television would have been making at the time. Like it's it's going yeah. into a syndication thing. So you're not getting as much return on your investment as if it were on CBS or ABC or NBC. Right. So mm-hmm. um, very strange in terms of business model. It's not clear why someone chose to do this, but they did. Um, hmm. In terms of what the overall picture of what Rocky Jones Space Ranger is about. Um, The description uh, on, and I can't remember if this is from Wikipedia or from IMDb, but basically the description says, this is Earth-based space policemen who patrol the united worlds of the solar system in the not-too-distant future. So like in 2020? Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I mean, twenty twenty one was a long time from nineteen fifty four. I know they probably this probably supposed to be in like the eighties. <laughs> yeah, well, it might have supposed to be in nineteen seventy eight. Who knows? <laughs> um, I think it was accurate, but space Earth based space policemen. Yes, who patrol the United Worlds of the solar system. Right. I'm not sure. I know what that means. But it doesn't matter, so... Well, like, you know how there's Walker, Texas Ranger? <laughs> I mean, I know of it. I've never watched that show, and I don't know the premise. Well, Ra- Texas Rangers is a real law enforcement agency. Did you know that? Yeah, I guess. I never thought about it. Well, it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I'm and look, I'm, I'm not... I'm really educated, so just <laughs> in case anyone else wants to feel super smart, just come take class with me. But, um, I mean... I know a lot of things. Look, you don't have to know about the v- multiple, literal hundreds of different law enforcement agencies in the United States. Um, but... And that's all I'm going off of. I'm like, because I know that the Texas Rangers already existed in 1954. So it's like, if there are space mm. rangers, I have to assume it's like vaguely Got it. connected to Got that. It. And what the rangers were supposed to do is be kind of like a semi-autonomous law enforcement body unique to Texas for reasons that are not, I don't even, I don't even totally get it. But so I'm like, okay, so these guys, um, are based on earth and well, and this actually comes into the story. They can't, uh, they can't arrest anyone 
for crimes they do on Earth, but they are responsible for, like, controlling Earth people who do crimes in space. That is wild. (laughs) (laughs) That is such an interesting... Huh. I'm trying to think of, like... That would be, like... (laughs) There's not a comparison I can no. bring that to. Like that no. is that would be like no. What it would be like is if we as American citizens went to another country, and there was. I mean, there are kind of agencies like this, but it would be like if the CIA then went to find us to arrest us. Yeah, like or if we like these. Yeah, it's very strange, but they can't. But they can't, the thing that's strange about it is that they can't arrest people or in this show, they can't do anything about crimes committed on earth. Right. Only crimes committed in space. Correct. And question number two, caveat, well question, not caveat, but question, can they, and that's only earth people or. Right. So they can't arrest or they can't prosecute, arrest, whatever it is aliens or people who don't live on earth i'm pretty sure no that is interesting (laughs) (laughs) that is an interesting job um so the other thing that was included in this kind of description uh and this i think does come from wikipedia uh the people who were putting this show together and this is a direct quote, did not appear to know the difference between planets, moons, stars, and constellations. So the specific locations Rocky and his sidekicks visited are generally unknown to astronomers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, science is hard. Sure. And also, I think it's fair to say, even in science fiction, real science is basically irrelevant so, I mean, I think we've learned that at this point that they're just kind of like, they put the science part of science fiction. Well, first of all, fiction is right behind it, so it doesn't matter. But like science, they put that in quotes. <laughs> well, kind of, unless, like, mm-hmm. I guess the only thing I should add is like, unless you're doing true, like hard science fiction, like when we watched The Martian, that was like mm-hmm. specifically meant to try and to be realistic. Yeah, like based on things that we actually know about going to space and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and there is a John. But when you're talking about future stuff, I mean, it really, of course, like we nitpick, of course, and say like all the bullshit we say. But of course, when you're talking about future stuff, it's going to be hypothetical and it's going to be uh, made the hell up because... It hasn't happened yet. Well, yeah, but like truly there is a branch of science fiction. It's called hard science fiction. It usually focuses quite a lot on like, I would actually say it's not even science fiction. It's more technology fiction because it's like computers and robotics. And like, um, and Mm. so like, that's what I mean. The Martian is a good example of the stuff that we've talked about that is in that Mm. vein of science fiction, which is very much more about like what, what already like really exists 
And what do we know and what can we right. like and, take from that? And like truly, like there are people in various scientific fields who are working on theoretical concepts all the time. So yeah. you and and so you can like if you want to, you can like dive down that and be like, ah, oh, well, people are talking about this now. So let's just like go 30 years into the future and maybe that's a thing that's real. You know, like um, yeah. So that's that is a version, and and it and in that sense, I would say the science does matter more in that type. Okay. But most yeah, of the sense. time, like soft science fiction, it's like who cares? <laughs> soft science fiction is like the people who wrote it didn't know what the difference between planets, moons, stars, and constellations. Are. <laughs> yeah, good one. Way to bring it back to what we're talking about, Amy. So uh, let's talk about the cast, and this is just for this specific episode. Um, oh, good. Because I don't remember who any of these people are. Well, there aren't. I th- I get the impression uh, that perhaps because the production was so expensive, uh, the acting was like like there aren't extras in this. Um, yeah, and stuff. So I think they economized in other ways. So mm-hmm. the first character is the titular Rocky Jones. Um, who was played by an actor named Richard Crane, who was 36 um, when this finally aired, though he was probably about 34 when it was actually being shot. Um, And he's a guy, we've talked about this kind of before, he's one of these people who I want to say he was like born in like 1918, 1919. So he hit this strange kind of place where he was too... I mean, he missed World War One entirely because he was barely born. And then by the time World War Two came along, um, he was like on the younger side. Um, so he actually had this really kind of like burgeoning career throughout the 1940s um, because most of the older like actors in Hollywood had enlisted in the in World War Two. Oh, Um, so intriguingly, he's one of these people where he throughout the 40s, he had a lot of roles where he was playing soldiers and stuff. Um, And he was the only one who wasn't a real soldier. He was all like, bye. Right. It's interesting. Um, And he did some guest spots on things like The Lone Ranger. Um, So like in the 40s, it looks like he's moving in. He might have like a good movie career but that kind of peters out and by the 50s he's just doing a lot of tv spots um Mm -hmm. but this is probably his biggest opportunity of his career um which unfortunately it gets canceled um and after rocky jones he appears in a lot of things that are kind of emblematic of the mid to late 50s and early 60s. He's in a bunch of Westerns and cop dramas and that mm. sort of thing. And also those like um, things that I'm not, I feel like don't totally exist anymore where it's like a particular, like General Electric Playhouse, you know, and stuff like what? that. <laughs> it's where big companies okay. would have like a weekly show and each episode oh. would just be like its own like separate story. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah, that was really a popular format in like the 50s and 60s of like um, 
Because it was like it's advertising for that company, but it also, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, mm-hmm. And he actually died in 1969 at the age of 50. So that's kind of strange. Oh, too bad. Um, but it was a different time. People didn't take care of themselves particularly well. Um, and a lot of people lived harder. Yeah. And the next guy we're going to talk about really takes that to a new level. Um, the character's name is Winky for some reason. I don't understand. Um, because he, this I is, know this is like, names. did you know everybody's names watching it? I basically only knew Winky and Bobby's name. Oh, okay. Because they were the only okay. people who were ever called, and I guess Rocky too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so Winky, and I don't know if that's supposed to be his last name or a nickname or what, um, but this is not a child. This is a full-grown man. <laughs> um, the actor's name is <laughs> Scotty Beckett. And he was 25 when this came out. And so he would have been, I think, about 23 when it was being filmed. Um, and he is very reminiscent to me of, remember when we did Flight of the Navigator and we talked about the little boy who was the star of that and then he like had all these terrible troubles as an adult? Yeah, yeah. Scotty Beckett is the same, but somehow even rougher. Um, oh no. Yeah. I mean, it's also because like the life of a child actor in the 1930s and forties is probably measure like seriously a lot worse, even though it's still pretty bad now, I would argue. I think back then it was like really bad. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's pretty noted the like, you know, Judy Garland didn't have a great time. Shirley Temple, it was rough for, and I think they were similar time periods. As yes. That. Yeah. So Scotty Beckett was an extremely famous child actor in the 1930s and 40s. And he Hmm. particularly was featured in kind of like a Little Rascals style series of shorts called Our Gang. Um, Although I think Little Rascals is older than Our Gang. Um, Mm. And he's a very, and the, like the picture of him on IMDb is of him as a child in this. And he is exceptionally cute, you know, like with big chubby cheeks and all this stuff. Um, and unlike many a child performer, uh, he seemed to have transitioned into doing like adolescent and young adult roles fairly easily. Um, Mm -hmm. like he was really beloved as a small kid. And then when you look at his earlier credits, it's as if he just straight, he goes straight from our gang into these other premium roles and, in his probably like mid to late teens, he's like on par with other kind of contemporaneous young actors like Elizabeth Taylor and things. Oh. Um, but things start going wrong for him pretty quickly. Uh, mm. He gets married to his first wife, I think, when he's just maybe 19 or something. Oh, wow. Uh, and is extremely abusive to her. Uh, which results in a divorce, um, which of course in the early fifties getting divorced is not great. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it was super public. So, um, and in part with the reason, so not only is he abusive, but he also, he gets divorced and almost immediately marries a different woman who has already gotten pregnant. And so all of this, yeah, all of this is put into, you know, the various 
uh, kind of uh, media or Hollywood media news of the day. Um, and, and the career that had shown such promise is like completely trashed. Um, because this is a period where, uh, stars, I mean, it's still the studio system. Uh, it's the studio system when it's at its kind of strongest still. And people's personal lives were meant to be regulated and controlled by the studio. And like people kept things like, that's the whole thing. Like you would have to sign various uh, contracts that said if ever like such and such thing should get out, then you have to pay the studio a fine for doing, you know, for Yikes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I bet you that's st- that kind of crap is still it buried in contracts. It might not be as explicit anymore, but yeah, I mean, I think it's producers just, and all that bullshit is a lot shadier than we know. It's a lot less, um, kind of all encompassing though, because the difference mm. is, is when you got your studio contract, uh, you had to sign. Now I'm remembering the phrase. It's called a morality clause. Was included in your contract oh. with Paramount or MGM or Warner Brothers, right? And oh. because you that studio owned you, that meant you worked for them. It wasn't to do with like which movie you were in. Specific you, movies. You yeah. worked for them for like let's say your contract was five years long. So that meant for five mm-hmm. years you had to abide by that morality clause. And if you didn't, then there mm-hmm. were then there was a fee schedule of like what goes with what. I'm sure that there mm. are certain things now where it's like, well, you've signed on to this kids movie, and. Mm-hmm. It's going to be bad for the brand if it comes out that there's, like, you're a pedophile, for example. Oh, um, yikes. <laughs> uh, or, or, I mean, that's an extreme version, but yes, that would be bad for the brand. <laughs> so any, like, so I'm sure you're probably right. There probably are certain ways to try and kind of manage people's personal lives as relates to their public image. Um, but it's only ever for, like, this is this movie, you know, it can't, yeah. it can't be like yeah, in it's, it's, perpetuity, yeah. you can't do this. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. and I think probably the, the punishment would be you'll be fired, not you owe us yeah. a bunch of money, to, you know? Right. Um, so that, and you know, if you come out as if like it, it becomes known that you're a pedophile, like you'll probably lose more than your job. Right. So, like. right. One would only hope. Um, oh my God. So anyway, but like, I think that's helpful for context for understanding why Scotty Beckett's career, which had seemingly been going so well, completely imploded. Um, hmm. Because in the 40s and 50s, there was a very high expectation of your stars behaving properly. And mm-hmm. um, divorcing one wife to get a a second wife who was already pregnant, that did not look good. Um, yeah. And so he was basically kind of cut loose and his career never recovered from it. So it's in that context that Scotty Beckett signs on to doing Rocky Jones. Um, Interesting. And I think if he had done okay in it, maybe it would have been a way to kind of like get himself back on track but unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, 
he had developed uh, uh, an addiction to something. It's, I couldn't quite deduce what he had gotten addicted to by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically was super, he was already super unstable. So um, as the show, as Rocky Jones is filming, Beckett um, robs a guy at gunpoint in the Cavalier Hotel in Hollywood for Thanks. for for not much money and then it's embarrassing and then he flees to Mexico to try and evade arrest um and while and he brings his uh new wife and baby with him to Mexico Yikes. oh my god um while in Mexico on this fleeing away um I mean, he robs a guy for money. He doesn't have any money. So he's in Mexico writing bad checks. Um, And so as a result, he gets arrested in Mexico for writing bad checks and then has to serve a prison sentence in Mexico of four months for writing bad checks. And And so he gets bounced from the Rocky Jones show because of that, because he can't come back to the U.S. because he's in jail. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, he was written out of the show. A different character comes on who kind of does his same role in the show. Mm -hmm. Um, When Beckett finally does return to the United States, um, he manages a little bit of a resurgence in terms of his career. But starting around 1957, he has more and more run-ins with the law uh, he gets caught smuggling drugs from Mexico into the United States. Um, he, Jesus. he, they're prescription drugs, but like, he doesn't have a prescription for them. He claims he mm. buys them for his wife in Mexico cause it's cheaper. You know, like there's that, mm-hmm, um, he mm-hmm. can, he continues to write bad checks because of course he doesn't have any money to speak of. Um, he regularly gets caught drunk driving, um, Jesus. yeah. And so he just kind of, um, descends into sadder and sadder levels of what we off, what we now really do associate with the problems related to addiction. Um, yeah. and he ultimately dies of what people believe to be a self inflicted drug overdose in 1968 at the age of 38. Yikes. Yeah. Pretty That's dark. Pretty dark, pretty rough. Um, so the next character is called Vina Ray, um, who is played by an actor named Sally Mansfield, who is 21. So that actually means she probably was like 19 when they were shooting this. Um, That's wild. Yeah. And this was, and as I said, uh, off air. She doesn't look 19. No, I she was thinking very that too. good, but she doesn't look 19. People definitely age differently in this day and age in comparison to that day and age. Well, it's more like whatever they put her in and like the makeup and severe well, hair yes, or whatever. The, the styling for sure makes a difference. But I do think truly like I do think people don't age quite as quickly as it seems like they did in the past. And I think that's at least partially because people aren't smoking as much. So we don't get as much like wrinkles and sun damage. Well, it's not smoking and not being out in the sun quite as much as people used to do. Um, Yeah. Or just having more awareness of both of those things. Right. 
Um, so Ms. Manfield, this was her biggest and longest lasting role was playing Vina. Um, she also did a few kind of one-off appearances in TV shows throughout the remainder of the fifties and sixties. Well, Hmm. mid sixties, but her last credit is in 1965 and it wasn't clear to me like what she went on to do after that. Mm -hmm. Um, but probably it maybe was just decided to have kids and do family life. I'm not totally sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, the next character is one called Bobby. And I found this very funny because the person who played him's name was Robert. So he probably was just Bobby. They just like didn't even try. They're like, whatever, just call, call you by your name. Yeah. So this is Robert Lydon who was 12. So that means he must've been about 10 when they were filming this. And he is another child actor, though, obviously, like, he's behind Scotty Beckett by about 15 years. So things, I hope, Mm -hmm. went a bit better for him because I couldn't find anything about him. Like, basically, all I could determine is that between 1949 and 1957, he did a number of, like, roles and things, and then that was it. Like, so... Um, we've also Hmm. run across this a bit as well, where like people really are very exclusively only acting when they're children and then they go Hmm. on to do other things, uh, once Mm -hmm. that time is over. So he is an Hmm. example of that style of child actor. Um, next we have the secretary of space, Drake. Um, and I (laughs) assume that Drake must be his last name. Uh, and that's played by an actor named Charles Meredith, who was 60 at the time of release. And just hmm. like, just to show like kind of where we are in time, he was born in 1894. Isn't that wild? That's history. <laughs> that's so long ago. That's, that is wild. That is that's going to be... <laughs> that's going to be us. Someday. Someone is going to be I know, like... I was going to say the kids are the kids today are going to be like, oh my God, you were born in... I've, I saw a funny meme once that was like, I've never felt older than when my kids said something to me about school about the late 1900s. Yes. And I realized they were talking about the 1990s. <laughs> well, here's another thing, a similar meme joke that made me feel terrible. Um, someone was like, I got carded the other day and it only took like literally one second. And I asked like, don't you need to look at that longer? And they were like, I saw the 19. They looked at the one. <laughs> I yeah. saw the 19, I I'm fine. The one in front of, yeah. It's um, so true. Yeah. No, I mean, and I do, like, so that's also kind of the period of history that I study is, the, like, the 1890s into the 1950s. And part of the reason I like to do that time is because I'm like, there's so much that changes between, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, super old-timey to, like, modern times almost in my mind. So, like, yeah, I, like, to me, living through it would be so wild. Like, here's this person who's born in 1894, and then he's in movies, and then he's in TV, and then he's in TV shows about space. Like, yeah, what a world. <laughs> that really is. That is crazy. That um, is. Yeah, go for hmm. it. I don't know. That is just wild. It's 1894. Um, yeah, that is... I think that's got to be a record on our show of the... He might be the, the oldest person we've run across. Yeah. 
because um, this might be one of the oldest things we've talked about as well. Yeah, I can't um, remember. I mean, I think, I think the other Son of Engaji was older. 60s. Yeah, I think oh, Son I of Engaji was quite a bit older. Um, so those people probably were also older as well. But he's definitely oh, in the I running. I about that one. He's definitely in the running for one of the earliest born people we've yeah. ever talked about. Yeah. Um, and in his case, uh, he actually, it looked like he had quite a good uh, career. He started out as a silent film star, and his first credit mm-hmm. was in 1919. Um, mm-hmm. Then uh, in 1925, he transitioned to doing only stage work. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that probably corresponds to when silent films were transitioning to talkies. So mm-hmm. it look, I got, yeah. I, I was just like, oh, maybe he was like, I'm not into it. I'm going to do stage work sense. instead. Um, and I feel like that is when I don't know, I don't know the history of the theater. I should, but I don't. Um, I feel like that's also when uh, live theater was kind of in a, in one of its first like golden ages too. Oh, like, I mean, cause you've got like vaudeville, but also like musicals. There's, there's a lot going yeah. on that you can be doing yeah. at that time. Um, mm-hmm. and so this is also to me like what a, like it was weird to see on IMDb. So his last credit in IMDb is 1925 and there's not another one until 1947. So he takes a 22 year foray into the theater basically interesting um and then by 47 he decides he wants to like come back and he does a few movies but he's mostly doing tv work um Mm. from 47 until he passes away in 1964 uh so this is one of those endeavors Mm. and the final character that we need to know about is a character called truck Harmon, who's played by an actor named Frank Wilcox, who was 48 when this was released. Um, He also is probably best known as a character actor that appeared in like a bajillion things Hmm. um, between like his first credit is in 1936. And I can't remember exactly, but like his last credit is in like the 70s or something like wow um he's and as you can see probably from the outline he has a total of 339 credits over his lifetime that's nuts that is nuts <laughs> um i mean we've had a, some people who've gotten into those numbers but generally the people who have that level of credits are doing voice work um yeah. and he is not doing voice work <laughs> He's That's just a lot of credits and things to just be in. Yeah, I mean, he's in Mr. Ed, Beverly Hillbillies, and a bunch of other TV stuff. Mm. Um, I also noticed apparently he makes an appearance in um, one of the kind of slightly lesser known Alfred Hitchcock movies, North by Northwest. Um, mm-hmm. And he's also in something called Those Redheads from Seattle, which I don't know what that is, but it sounded I have not fun. Heard of that. It, it does sound fun. a little intriguing. Um, but yeah, so that's all we need to know for the purposes of this story. And as I said, I think like in general, my impression when I do watch particularly TV shows from this era, which is like the, be- the very beginning of like working out how to even do a TV show. Um, mm-hmm. We are 
like you're not seeing a lot of big casts and you're definitely not seeing yeah. a lot of extras or anything. And so yeah. this is uh, in that vein where like everybody mm-hmm. who has a name is at least sort of doing something. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I only say sort of because Vina doesn't get to do much of anything at all. She screams. Um, <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> she does get to be important to the story at some point. <laughs> um, if. If. So uh, we open up on Rocky Jones, Space Ranger. And I got to say, I did enjoy the credits more for the kind of like nostalgic nature of them because they were like, and then <laughs> and like stars and like animations kind of. Um, yeah. But when we, the show begins, we're in Rocky and Winky's home and Vina's calling Rocky on what they're, what they refer to as the Visiograph, mm-hmm. but it's just Zoom. So deal with that. <laughs> um, and they've well, those just. Are always, I mean, I feel like TV or like video phones in almost, in any type of science fiction that's like pre- now (laughs) video phones were always like ooh that's so cool or like that's such a I mean even in non-science fiction things I remember they had a gag about video phones in Friends when they like when Monica dated a super rich guy he had like a video phone and it was seen as like such a cool like thing I feel like people people were really into the whole video phone thing (laughs) Yeah, and actually they still are because we can't disconnect from Zoom now. True. And And now there's TikTok, which is like all of it melded into one. Um, yeah. And what we're to understand is that Rocky and Winky have just returned from some previous Space Ranger mission out on space, out in space. Mm-hmm. And Vina's like, hey, like, but like, what are you doing? Um, meanwhile... Uh, Truck Harmon and his henchman, who for some reason is called Lawson, are mm-hmm. sneaking around the launch pad um, with suitcases full of money. Uh, and that will become mm-hmm. important later. Mm-hmm. Then Secretary Drake, who is, as we recall, the Secretary of Space... It gets a phone call on his visiograph from Harmon. And Harmon is calling him from the spaceship that he has just broken into. And he's calling him <laughs> to say, I'm escaping Earth. Ha, ha, ha. You'll never catch me. And because I'm leaving Earth, you can't hold me responsible for all these suitcases of money I've just taken. <laughs> Because that's okay. how the law works in this yep. thing. Um, and he even says, like, some of the, like, actual dialogue in this was pretty hilarious because it was, like, super predictable. But I'm like, was it predictable in 1954? I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. Because then Harmon is, like, going off on his, like, villain's rant of, like, I'm getting away. And he, and he even says, just try and stop me. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Um, That's a classic. And I I do got to say, like, I like a snazzy villain, but, like, it is, I'm like, if you're in the midst of yours. A snazzy villain? 
yeah, like a kind of like, you know, I'm so kind of car- cartoonishly evil. It's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I do think that like calling in the midst of your escape rather than like, it's one thing to call once you've fully escaped. But like when you have only, you're like literally blasting off from earth as you are calling the guy who's to say you can't catch me anymore (laughs) like yeah uh, it's not smart it seems like a little bit uh asking for trouble yeah so that all occurs um and immediately secretary drake starts to try and call rocky and winky because they are the space rangers and they can go after Harmon. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, he keeps getting busy signals. So we've got a visiograph, but it still works like a telephone. So you have a busy signal <laughs> when That's funny. you try to call. And the That's reason very funny. he's getting a busy signal is because Vina is trying to flirt with Rocky and like basically be like, do you want to go out on a date? But because it's 1954 slash... Uh, I don't know, 1987, 1984. Yeah. Uh, She can't actually ask him. She's like doing all this like work to try and like get him to ask her out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course he's like, I'm too tired. I just came back from this mission. And then Winky is like, well, I'll take you out, Vina. And she's like, no, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So she like hangs up. And as soon as she hangs up, Winky is, like, looking through his black book to call a different lady to go on a date. And that lady is named Judy. And when he calls her, do you remember where she is when he reaches her on the visiograph? No. On the toilet? I hope it's on the toilet, but I'm sure that's not right. Well, you're close. She's in the shower. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she answers? I know. That was my question, too. I'm like, why would you answer the visiograph when you're in the shower? But that was the other thing that was crazy is she had, like, a specific, like... She uh, had one in her shower. Well, yes, but also she pulled across, like, this weird, like, panel. So it looked like people in the future were prepared to get phone video phone calls in the shower. And so you would have, like, a modesty screen... That you could pull across and then you, so the person would just see your face, like from the shoulders up mm. or whatever. <laughs> so I apparently mean, getting calls in the bathroom is like so common in the future that you have to be well, prepared. Well, because, you know, you just like, yeah, you just like, people are calling you all the time. So they see the thing, you know what? I don't think any sci-fi movie, like future one from the past, um... I don't think any of them predicted text messaging in the same way. No, as no, that was an un, that was unforeseen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and that I actually was thinking that I was like, wait a second, though. I bet there are people who do answer a video call in the shower. Um, I bet you there are, but they're called. There's a name for those people, and it's weird. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that you were going to say sex workers maybe um yikes well i I mean if it's actually like your job i guess it's like okay yikes that this could take a turn but like i mean (laughs) if it's actually like you're answering for a purpose of like this is your service i answer these calls in the shower as like 
this is my job. Right, that's, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That, fine, that's fair enough. I, <laughs> but people who are just like, and you're like someone hanging out, like taking a shower, and like your mom calls. That's a weird time to answer. <laughs> just be like, oh, no, talk I know. To you in ten minutes. I know. I'm not saying I get it. I'm just saying I bet it because, like, you know for a fact there are people who answer the phone when they're on the toilet. There are people oh, who yeah. answer the phone when they're in the tub. Like, um, and I don't just mean answer the phone. I mean like go full FaceTime with it. Okay, I well, guarantee that's too much. <laughs> I guarantee you. I mean, I'm sure. Th- I'm sure you're right. But FaceTime is too much for the toilet. Bath, maybe. Like, I mean, even still, I wouldn't just because I don't find that relaxing. And if I'm in the bath, I'm assuming my. I would need a lot of relaxing. bubbles. I would need a lot of bubbles <laughs> on the surface well, for I mean, me to consider answering with a FaceTime in the. Tub. I mean, I just have to make sure that the angle was correct. If you just have it tight on your face, you're not gonna like. Right. But, but the toilet is not the place for face and hey everybody hey everyone out there not the place <laughs> also public service announcement like if you have to go to the bathroom during a zoom meeting then leave the computer in your office or wherever you don't bring it into the bathroom with you even if you think you've turned off the camera and even if you think you've muted it just don't even get into a position where a mistake could be made of that nature. I mean, come on now. And also, um, depend unless your Zoom call is three hours long, go to the bathroom before it. <laughs> like, yeah, try to try at least try. Yeah. Anyway, um, but anyway, in the future, this is all happening. So maybe they were actually more prescient than we realized because I get I, I now I've talked myself into believing this probably has happened many a time. Um, <laughs> but Winky, of course, he's like trying to see if Judy wants to go on a date. She also says no thanks. <laughs> finally, just getting rejected right and left. Finally. Uh, Winky gives up. He hangs up the f- visiograph. Secretary Drake's call comes through immediately because he has been trying to get through this whole time, but the line has been busy because Winky's been trying to get a date. Um, <laughs> and then he tells the two of them that Truck Harmon has escaped. So we arrive in secretary drake's office and he's giving rocky and winky like the rundown on who Harmon is and like why he's a bad guy and the various like i guess um i don't know if it it wasn't clear to me if there are satellites tracking him or what but like based on the course that the ship took they're fairly sure he's heading to a place called fornax which clearly which again probably doesn't exist based on what we've talked about no. in terms of doesn't like, sound real. Um so this is when we get this weird like earth law versus space law thing being discussed because mm-hmm. Drake says as you know <laughs> I really like when a- exposition for the audience is like told to the person who know. who definitely should already know it. Um yeah. <laughs> but he's like Rocky and Winky, you know that, like, my kind of, like, I, we can't do anything about the fact that Harmon has stolen this money from Earth now that he is in space. 
I'm mm-hmm. sending you after him because space rangers are responsible for space law. And um, what I want you to do is like follow him because he's definitely going to do a crime in space and then you can arrest him and bring him back to Earth. <laughs> He's definitely going to do that space crime. You know it. Yeah. Dude, by the way, in a, in the long line of shows that I wish we could create, Space Law or Space Crime. Space Court. <laughs> uh, I feel like the the true thing that has ring a good ring to it is Space Law. Um, yeah, I like Space Law. Yeah, like L.A. Law, but like Space yep. Law. Um, space Law. So, Let's yeah. Let's write it. So, <laughs> we've got so much extra time. We can just pitch I this know, show. and we have so many shows that are just, we've got so <laughs> many things, so many ideas. Although I have gotten from James, he's into the idea of Ghost Court. He supports Ghost Court. Ghost Court would be <laughs> amazing. And actually, I think Ghost Court, it, uh, as far as I know, Ghost related um watching is very big i mean in general but i think specifically right now i've heard a lot of people talking about some show called ghost adventures and i think there's an audience for ghost court (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's an audience they can be companion shows ghost court Mm -hmm. space law um love it who wouldn't want to watch that lineup i mean come on um i mean i'd watch that lineup in the shower answering my phone (laughs) (laughs) um so they so then bobby and vina it's unclear to me like why these two people are in any way connected to or associated with winky and rocky and the space rangers but they're there somehow um and bobby is like actively like kind of trying to get Rocky to let him and Vina go on the mission with him. So here's a world where a grown woman and a 10-year-old boy are the same. Uh, the same in that they're expendable and in the way. Correct. Yeah. And Rocky would be doing them each a favor if they were to go along. Oh, I also forgot to mention that this this is why I had that question at the beginning about military garb, because I really like the Space Ranger uniform. Yeah, they were very, well, you know what? They reminded me of, um, of course you liked them, because they reminded me of uh, your bullshit show, Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Didn't they? They looked like the 50s version of Star Trek. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's hard to know, because I don't know what color they were in real life, but they had, like, um, the the top. But they had, like, the same, like, little, like, spacey emblem at the top yeah the top half was like a white triangle like inverted triangle so the top the bottom of the triangle was like at your shoulder line and then it went down to a triangle and that was all white with like piping around it and I think there were you're right like some metals on your chest or something yeah that went there um and then in my mind the way I'm picturing it is that then the other part of the suit which was just like it just looked dark in black and white, maybe yeah. it was like a navy, but yeah, it was a jumpsuity. I mean, I don't think they had spandex the way they do in Next Generation, but they did have more of a form-fitting style mm-hmm. item. 
and a jaunty hat, as I always desire. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess what it is that I like best about a military-inspired thing is the the sharpness the of the hat. shoulders. Oh, the hats oh, are the hats a close second, but I think it's the sharpness <laughs> of the shoulders is the first part interesting. that I like about it. Um, but yeah, so it's like shoulder pads. Well, and that's the weird thing is like on myself, I don't want a shoulder pad in a thing. Um, but and I'm sitting here looking at a poster of the Golden Girls, and that's like shoulder pads a go go. It, well, that's the eighties. <laughs> the eighties yeah. is just everything to the most. And so it's like, yeah. Oh, it's not just like any old shoulder pad. It's like, we're going to make these super duper thick and intense such that it, a little old lady looks like a linebacker. Like that's what we're going it's for. So silly. Um, but no, I noticed like, it's probably the only thing I noticed production value wise that I really enjoyed was the dress uniforms of the space rangers mm-hmm. um so then of course we are on the space ranger ship rocky has decided to allow bobby and vena to come along and they are all headed to fornax to catch up with truck truck harman in the meantime um they get a notification that there's like this big kind of group of meteors that are coming through and so Rocky is like, okay, we're going to like adjust our trajectory so that the like gravity associated with the meteor movement, we're just going to be kind of like pulled along on their wave, right? Rather than being mm-hmm. damaged by them. Oh, you know, this reminded me a lot of the Thunderbirds episode that we oh, watched. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it did. In terms of like the actual storyline, which... I didn't really follow, but, like, it seemed like the storyline was, like, very similar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's super similar because, so they managed to get through this meteor shower totally fine, but Harmon and Lawson, who are not super practiced at space travel, um, their ship gets damaged as a result of this meteor shower. And so they start calling out into space for somebody to rescue them. And with the same kind of energy that Harmon called up Secretary of Space Drake to like rub it in his face how he was running away, now he's like calling out into just general space, being like, hey, anyone who's out there, I've got literal suitcases full of money. If you come and rescue us immediately, I'll give you a bunch of money. Um... (laughs) And I was like, wow, that's an interesting choice. But I guess he, like, does very quickly need help. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he makes this call. And then then we're brought on to the ship that he and Lawson have stolen. And he turns to Lawson and he's like, hey, man, um, so this damage to our ship is pretty bad. Why don't you go get those suitcases full of money that I just offered to these like anonymous people who are going to immediately come and help us. Um, And so Lawson's like, okay, no problem. He brings all of the suitcases into the bridge. And then Harmon's like, thanks so much. And then he pushes Lawson out the door and then shuts the airlock to the bridge of the ship. And Lawson is left to die. Yikes. I forgot this part. They're not super clear on what the damage to their ship is, but from this we have to infer that there's been like an actual like breach of the hull. So like 
air is being sucked out. Uh huh. That's the only thing I can think of of how this would go wrong. Um, yeah. So, as we might expect, it's Rocky and Winky who get the call about please save me. I'll give you this boatloads of cash thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so their ship pulls up alongside the other ship. Um, and this is where we see some like fun special effects of like two cartoon ships aligning with each other. <laughs> um, oh yeah. I remember that part. And I was like, it actually, they looked like they were made of, did it look like, um, I, yeah, maybe it wasn't cartoon. I couldn't quite it work like, out what it was. It almost looked like paper plane, like not oh, paper Oh yeah, but like maybe so. Like puppetry of, sort of. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Or miniatures of some yeah, yeah, yeah. kind. Um, so they come up alongside, and again, this gave me a lot of like uh, deja vu to Thunderbirds. Rocky calls over to Harmon, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna come over and get you, but what I gotta do is I've gotta like open up a like a hatch between my ship and your ship." And that's what's like gonna go on. And there's like again, like a lot of welding, like a laser opens up this pathway between one ship and the other, um, which is the same deal as from Thunderbirds. And so right. once Rocky has done this connection between the two ships, he comes into the room and he finds Lawson's body just lying there. Um, and he's like, hmm, this seems strange. (laughs) This seems not good. (laughs) Um, so he get, and then Lawson comes out from the bridge with his suitcases of money and Rocky is a bit like, uh, what's the deal with this dead guy? Um, and Harmon (laughs) is like, yeah, it's a real shame. I tried to save him, but it like didn't work and he died. (laughs) And Rocky's like, liar. Okay, but again, technically, if he knew... Is one of the space crimes lying? Is that a crime in space? No, lying, I think, is just, like, frowned upon in space. But But, murder... But murder is still definitely not allowed. But the problem is that Rocky just doesn't believe him. He doesn't have proof that he killed him. So he can't arrest him for just suspecting that he killed him. Right. So they save Harmon. They go back onto Rocky's ship. They basically like disconnect from the damaged ship. And then I guess that's just left to float in space, like space trash or something. I don't totally know. We've talked about, we've talked about this before, but like anything that's like thrown out into space stays in space. Correct. Right? Yeah. Hmm. And <laughs> no like, follow-up questions. I just am picturing all the stuff that must be floating around in space. I mean, space is huge, but eventually you you would think like you don't want to just like be leaving trash there. Right. But that is that is definitely anyway. what happened here as far as we know. Um mm-hmm. so then they went then we see like kind of the whole cast of characters on the bridge of the Space Ranger ship. We've got crime guy Harmon. We've got crime fighters Rocky and Winky. And then weird hangers on Vina and Bobby. That's the whole 
kind of crew yeah. in there. Like, is he somebody's child? Is that child I, somebody's child? I it's not clear. I think they're just I think and the he's one just, guy is really mean to him at one point. I can't I remember yeah. being like, whoa. Well, that's what's about to happen. But I think he's oh, just okay. their child friend. So weird. So You're, inappropriate and weird. Yeah, you shouldn't if you are just two guys in your twenties and thirties. So you shouldn't have just a child friend. I no. don't think. <laughs> And, like, you hang out alone with them. Unless it's, like, a big brother, like, like there has to be There has to be an official reason of how you met this child. Yes. And admittedly, and like, on, Bobby. And online is not one of them. Bobby does have, like, a uniform that's, like, a, a tiny Space Rangers maybe uniform. Like an, so is he yeah. a trainee? Maybe. Maybe. Let's pretend that. I would like to, yes, that makes me feel better about this relationship. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's say that. Um, so they all are on the ship. They're, and Harmon, this is the moment that you're talking about. Harmon, again, with the energy that I don't understand, is immediately a complete dickhead. He's like waltzing onto the bridge with his suitcases of money. And he's like... <laughs> You guys really like fucked this one up because your ship got a little bit damaged by that same meteor shower. So you have to land at the nearest planet to fix it all up. And where's the nearest planet? Fornax. And that's where I plan to go in the first place. And according uh-huh. to Yeah, and according to space law, you can't arrest me anyway. So haha, dummies. Um so that's already kind of like a an aggressive stance to take yeah um but then this is that part so he's on the ship and i need to remember something for a second um oh yeah he yells at bobby and i think it's because bobby's like whistling whistling. yeah yeah (laughs) um he's basically like shut up yeah he's really he says the words shut up but yeah he's he's super aggressive about telling this kid to be quiet Mm mm-hmm um, and and this is where, again, there's some ham-fisted, like, we need to make the plot all come together in this way. Um, because Rocky is like, why should you care? Well, first he's like, you can't tell anyone on my crew what to do. Um, mm-hmm. But secondly, he was like, and besides, Bobby, don't you know that Truck Harmon is famously superstitious and wi- somehow whistling is a, there's a super superstition about whistling, which I've oh, yeah. never heard of in my life. Me neither. It was made up, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's this Harmon being superstitious is going to be important for later. So I guess mm-hmm. this technically mm-hmm. is foreshadowing. <laughs> I guess that's what that was supposed to do. Um, so then we do, in fact, arrive on the planet, presumably Fornax, um, and that is because, as Harmon says, the ship needs to be fixed up a bit so that it can come back to Earth eventually. Mm -hmm. Meantime, well, I don't know who's fixing the ship, because Rocky and Winky are off talking to the king of Fornax, Um, and they're saying, look, man, we're sorry to tell you this, but like, we have transported this crime guy to your planet. Um, and he's probably going to wreak havoc on your planet as well, because he's got these suitcases full of money. 
And then, of course, the king is like, well, we don't want him here. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and Rocky is like, I'm so sorry, but we're hamstrung by space law. We can't arrest him um, because he hasn't done anything in space. And hmm. so this is when the decision is struck, like they're going to follow him around, presuming that he probably will do some kind of space crime at some point. <laughs> Yeah, that that makes sense, right? Yeah, totally. Perfect. Um, <laughs> now, there's a part that I would like to skip because it seemingly has no relationship to anything, but it actually is important to the plot. And this is the the scene where Bobby and this other little girl, who turn out to be the the daughter of the king, so the princess of Fornax, they're climbing yeah. up the side of a pyramid. Yeah, I didn't know where. I may have missed the part where they got there, and I was like, who's that other little child? <laughs> She's the princess of Fornax, and got they're it. talking with each other, and that's part of the reason why Bobby wanted to go on this mission in the first place, because he already had, like, a crush on this girl, apparently. Oh, like, they weird. mentioned that at the beginning, and I, it took, I, like, didn't get it until this part, and I was like, oh, that's what oh. that whole discussion was. Um... And so what Bobby and this little girl are talking about is that it's very, actually, it gives me very Santa conquers the Martians vibes because yes, totally. the little girl is talking about, she's like, Fornax is almost just like Earth now. We have all these different Earth holidays that we do. Um, and so she's t she talked about Santa, Fornax Santa, um, mm -hmm. and all different things. And then Bobby's like, well, have you heard of Halloween? And she's like, what's <laughs> Halloween? I'm about to blow your mind, kid. You walk to <laughs> people's house and they give you candy. Well, no, that he doesn't talk about trick-or-treating. He said, like, he talks about how it's about scaring people. Oh. And, that, and well. that's why we need to know this. That's this other part of, quote-unquote, foreshadowing that's happening for later. And this is your, and now we've gotten to your favorite scene with Vina. Oh, here we go. So why don't you say what the next scene, how we start out? Okay, well, uh, does it start with her screaming? Basically. I mean, it's a close-up of her face, and she's screaming bloody murder like a horror movie. And, like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, what is she screaming about? And then they go over into the other... Uh, the other dudes, it shows the other two dudes, and then all of a sudden they hear her screaming bloody murder, and <laughs> they run in to find her to see what's going on, and she continues to scream like that, even to the point where she does, like, <laughs> like the whole, like, hands out, like, one hand out stretched, but, like, grabbing, like, claw, like, her hand is like a claw, and she's like, Wah! and she might as well, like, put her hands in her hair. It's like the, all yeah. the quintessential, like, screaming tropes yeah um, and it goes for a very long time she and like she's like up against the wall like really like being still even when she's not audibly screaming she's still in like scream mode if that makes sense <laughs> yes um, and it's because there's a floating piece of cloth in the air and I didn't know what it was supposed to be no it what it looks like for those of you listening is like someone took like a tennis ball 
maybe. Yes. And then put a bit of white cloth around the tennis ball and then like maybe like an elastic underneath it to yes. make like a head. To make it look of. like a weird floating ghost that looks yeah. like a child made it, which I think is what happened. Yeah. But like But then wait, I just wanna see um the way I wrote about it in my handwritten notes was Venus screams at a floating handkerchief. Yes, exactly. I could also say floating piece of trash. Like it Correct. just looked like, super bad and super stupid. Yeah, and it like she and again, just to like drive it home, she wasn't screaming like a startled like, "Ooh, I just like okay, if I saw a floating piece of thing like that and it was like continually floating, I might like be startled if I turned around and saw it and be like, "What yeah. the hell?" I would probably she, say something along the lines of, "Holy shit." <laughs> Yeah, I probably like, what the fuck is that? But like, but she screams like a murderer is in her face about to murder her. Like that's yes. how she screams. Yes. And so Rocky and Winky, who are kind of this is this weird hallway they're in that I don't totally get. Um, they like run around the corner and find her and start to like calm her down. Um, and then Bobby and this little girl reveal themselves because they Bobby is showing her about scaring people on Halloween (laughs) good trick you did it (laughs) I mean I'm like I get that Halloween maybe is about scaring people but I don't think you like usually you try and let the scare be pretty quick and then you reveal and it's like whoops um well you know when you've got a target who's an idiot it's fun to maybe keep it going True. And then Bobby reveals that he's, he doesn't really show what the quote unquote devices that makes the thing float around, but it's something that the space rangers have. And Mm. he's like, yeah, we just rigged it up to make it look like a ghost to scare Vina. Um, And then Rocky and Winky look at each other and they're like, "Mm, this gives us an idea. So... (laughs) What they do is they follow Harmon into this weird room that I'm not even sure what this room is or, like, what Harmon intends to be doing in it. Um, But then Rocky, like, also what's really funny about this is, like, Rocky is, quote-unquote, hiding from Harmon, but he's standing in the exact same room just, like, in a corner. Like, that's how um, you hide. I guess. Do I don't know. know. I think <laughs> if you close your eyes and you like cover your eyes and close them, <laughs> but you just stay really, really still, people can't see you. Do you know that? Well, that is how like a two-year-old understands hiding. Exactly. <laughs> I know. That's, and I think we should continue that energy to our life. Um, yeah, that sense of wand- wonder and magic. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that is precisely what happens. Uh, Rocky has been hiding in this room, waiting for Harmon to enter it. And he uh, starts operating this ghost thing. Um, and he waves it around in front of Harmon's face. And Harmon is at least not quite as skittish as Vina. <laughs> um, but then Rocky is like pretending to be the voice of the dead Lawson and being and kind of Ooh. doing like Christmas Carol ish like you yeah. should I will haunt you for three nights yeah like you should confess you killed mm-hmm. me Whoa. like stuff like that <laughs> um and in and as you would expect to 
Like, he's like, no, I didn't. Well, I sort of did, but it really just was, I killed you through an action rather than like purpose, you know, like, oh, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So he effectively confesses. And that's when Rocky jumps out from nowhere. Like, um, and he's like, aha, I got you. You did a space crime (laughs) and I'm going to lock you up for the space crime. Um, and Harmon is like, no way, I didn't confess. And he's like, I did, you did, I heard it. Um, and so then they, like, do this, like, semi-fight, um, in the process of the arrest. But the final scene is that Harmon is being kind of, like, marched into the ship, which has been fixed. Um, and he's going to be taken to Earth to stand trial, I guess, for space crime. And that's where we start space law. Yes. Join yeah. us next week when we talk about <laughs> the trial of Harmon I on mean, space law. He does need a spo- space lawyer, presumably, mm-hmm. for this. Um, yeah, that's it. jury. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That- we did it. <laughs> By the way, us talking about this was longer than the show. Way longer. It was okay. Here's what I'll say it was 26 minutes and it's on YouTube and it's in black and white. So I watched it in full screen because watching it like on my computer, like in not full screen, like I couldn't, I like couldn't concentrate. Yeah. But full screen made it only marginally better. <laughs> um, and I have to be honest, I looked at how much time was left. Every three minutes. <laughs> and it's a 26 minute thing. I was like, woo. I even like took a break at one point. I'd like watch nine minutes of it. Took and I was like, break. oh, I'm going to have 15 minutes left. <laughs> I like, I like couldn't. Um, that's where my attention span for this type of stuff or things that I'm not interested in, I guess I could say. Yeah. Uh, lies. And um, so. That's it. It Yeah. For me, it was rather boring. Yeah. So, well, then that is perfect to get us into yawns (laughs) and eye rolls. In Mm -hmm. terms of yawns, one yawn is this was like excellent television. I loved every second. And ten yawns is like, no. What would you give it? I'm going to I'm going to give it a 9 even though I just said all the stuff I just said only because it was there 26 minutes there could be something worse. It, yeah, there could absolutely be something worse and there could be something longer and I definitely penalize things that are too long. Um so I'll give it for what it was, I'll give it a 9. Okay. Some of it's my own problems I need to get over. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, but I have to say I too was not super engaged by this, even though we did manage to have a fun conversation about it in the watching, it was not great. So I'm going to be a little bit more generous and say 7.5. Okay. Fair enough. Not super engaging. Uh, in terms of eye rolls, one eye roll is like, eh, you know, on par with any show I guess like nothing to see here and 10 eye rolls is like this is like way too out there what would you give it well 
judging from some of the stuff you taught me today, like the fact that the people who wrote it don't know the difference between moons and planets, um, <laughs> I feel like that ups some of the eye roll quotient a bit. But then again, like, it's the 50s. They were trying. Also, I'll give it, like, a six. Okay. Oh, I just learned that Fornax is actually a constellation. Oh, there you go. So maybe it's not as crazy, but I'm going to stick with a six. Semi-real. Yeah. Semi-real. I'm going to stick with a six, though. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel about the same. I think I would give it right down the middle five. Um, may, like, and I, the thing that I, I don't want to like hold against it, the fact that it's older in a sense, like, um, I think if, if we were people in the fifties watching this, we might think it was kind of wilder than yeah. it appears now because now it's like super baseline, you know? Yeah. Like space cops. Got it. Like space crime <laughs> guy. Got it. Um, at the time I mean, in it, comparison to like ghost court, it, it, you ain't seen nothing. Very, very blah in comparison to ghost court, obviously. <laughs> um, so in that sense, I'm like, it might've seemed crazier when it was made than it feels to us now. Um, so I'm just yeah. going to say right down the middle five. Um, would you recommend this? I mean... You know who I might recommend? This? I might recommend this to like specific people. <laughs> okay. Like uh, uh, people who A, might be old enough where like this is a time maybe they watched this growing up or maybe sure. they could like get into that. So the nostalgia value. Yeah. People who are into that. Um, anybody who like is. I guess I don't really know anybody who's like super into sci-fi besides you. I would recommend it to you. <laughs> I Great, that's what I'd say. But but judging from your reaction, I guess I wouldn't. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't recommend it to people. I mean, I guess I would it's say short enough though. Yeah, it's super short, and I'm from speaking as the one person you might recommend it to. Um, <laughs> I would say I'm glad I've seen it to know kind of what it is um mm -hmm. all because i mean unsurprisingly i'm a super nerdy historian who likes to know the origins of things so it's not really a surprise that since i already like science fiction it's like oh it's interesting to me to see how things first started getting put together and imagined and that's kind of yeah that's intellectually interesting, even if the show itself isn't terribly interesting. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, so you're I think... you're the perfect it, person to recommend it to. <laughs> yes. So so if you're like me, then do watch this, maybe. Um, but otherwise... And if you're like me... Don't. Probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Cool. We got I there. think that's, that's a really good um, note to leave it on, which is... Yeah. Neutral. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you, Amy. I am Sarah, and thank you for listening. And as always, we will see you next week in space. Ooh.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.